With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride here. We've got the biggest Raiders regular season game in about the last 20 years or so. This Sunday night against the Los Angeles Chargers with the playoff spot on the line. A few weeks ago, there weren't a whole lot of people who thought this would even be possible for the Raiders. I definitely didn't, so I'm excited and nervous at the same time, and I'm sure a lot of you guys are in the same boat. But before all that, we've got to get you ready for the game by going over the biggest news stories of the week, taking a look at the injury report, and answering your mailbag questions. Reminder, to have your questions answered on the pod, tweet them at me, at mholder95, or email them to sppquestions1 at gmail.com, mholder 95 on Twitter, or sppquestions1 at gmail.com. All right, let's do this thing. I'll start by getting the Nate Hobbs news out of the way. Early Monday morning, after the Raiders win in Indianapolis, the Las Vegas Police Department arrested Hobbs on a misdemeanor DUI. The police received a call at about 4 a.m. that the driver was asleep inside of a car that was parked on the exit ramp of a parking garage on the Strip. When the police arrived on the scene, they identified the driver as Hobbs and performed a field sobriety test that he failed. So, the Raiders' starting nickel cornerback was booked into the Clark County Detention Center. Hobbs was released from jail and has a court date set for May. This comes just a little more than two months after Henry Ruggs was charged with a DUI resulting in fatality that resulted in the death of Vegas resident Tina Tentor and her dog Max, and almost a year to the day after Josh Jacobs was arrested for a DUI that would later get reduced to a traffic offense. The Raiders have been cooperating with LVPD throughout the week, and interim head coach spoke to the media about the incident and said, Obviously, we take that extremely serious, organizationally and certainly within our team. So, based on what we've learned at this time, we expect Nate to play. It's a legal matter, and other than that, I really have nothing else, and we'll leave it at that. The Athletics' Vic Tafer is also reporting that the Raiders and Las Vegas Police Department have been in close contact on the matter, and the team doesn't expect Hobbs to face DUI charges similar to Jacob's situation. Hobbs' attorneys, who are also representing Ruggs, released a statement earlier this week that the case might not qualify as a DUI in the state of Nevada. As of right now, it looks like the rookie will play on Sunday, and we won't get a whole lot of new information until we get closer to his court date in May. Of course, Silver and Black Pride will provide you guys with updates as they come in. Alright, I've got to give you guys some more uplifting news after that one, and this has become a recurring theme this season as Daniel Carlson has won another AFC at Special Teams Player of the Week award. Carlson was 3 of 3 of his field goal attempts against the Colts, nailing 47 and 43 yarders, and of course the clutch 33 yarder to win the game and keep the Raiders' playoff hopes alive. This is the third time Cash Money Carlson has received the honors, which ties Sebastian Janikowski's franchise record for the most player of the week awards in a single season, and it's the fifth time he's won the awards since signing with the Raiders back in 2018 after being cut by the Minnesota Vikings as a rookie. Sunday night against the Chargers will obviously be Carlson's last chance at breaking Janikowski's record, and another clutch kick to send the Raiders to just their second playoff appearance since 2003 would be a significant boost for his chances of doing so. Speaking of the playoffs, let's go over some of the postseason scenarios that the Raiders are facing this week. There are three ways that they can make the tournament. The first is the easiest, or simplest I should say, beat the Chargers and earn a wildcard spot. Now, there is a scenario where Las Vegas can clinch a spot before they even do the coin toss on Sunday night, 
If the Colts lose to the Jaguars and the Steelers lose to the Ravens during the day, the Raiders are in. However, Indianapolis is a 15-point favorite against 2-14 Jacksonville, and while Pittsburgh is a 6-point underdog on DraftKings Sportsbook, Baltimore has lost 5 games in a row, and starting quarterback Lamar Jackson's status for the game is in doubt, so this scenario is pretty unlikely to happen. Now, you're going to have to bear with me a little bit on this next scenario. If the Steelers win, then if the Colts lose, the Raiders and Chargers can both make the playoffs on Sunday night if they tie. I know what you're thinking. Screw that. Let's eliminate the Chargers. But I'm actually rooting for this scenario, and here's why. It's no secret that the Raiders and the NFL have been at odds for years, so what better way to stick it to the league than turn one of the biggest, if not the biggest primetime game of the season into two teams just exchanging knees and punts for 70 minutes. Plus, neither team would have to risk injury heading into the postseason, so it almost turns into a bye. Again, this is probably an unlikely scenario since it involves a terrible Jags team beating a good Colts team, but I'm here rooting for the chaos. Well, now that we've gone over the clinching scenario, let's touch on the seeding. If the Raiders win, the Patriots beat the Dolphins, and the Bills beat the Jets, the Raiders are the sixth seed and will head to either Cincinnati or Buffalo for the first round, depending on the outcome of the game between the Bengals and the Browns. Bengals win, Raiders go to Cincy, Browns win, Raiders head to Buffalo. It's worth noting that the Bengals are planning on resting some key players like quarterback Joe Burrow, and Baker Mayfield won't be playing for the Browns. Now, if the Patriots lose to the Dolphins, Raiders would get bumped up to the 5 seed, but would still play either the Bills or the Bengals. And if the Patriots beat the Dolphins, but the Bills lose to the Jets, the Raiders will again be the 5 seed and will play the Bengals as the Patriots move into the 3rd spot in that scenario. I'm sure this is on some people's mind. The only way that the Raiders and the Chiefs will play each other in the first round is if Las Vegas wins, New England beats Miami, New York beats Buffalo, and Denver beats Kansas City. In that scenario, the Raiders would again be the 5 seed and the Chiefs the 4. So, the Raiders' most likely first-round opponents are either the Bills or the Bengals. If anyone is still out there looking for tickets for Sunday's game, you better act quick and you better have a big budget. Mick Akers of the Las Vegas Review-Journal tweeted out early this week that StubHub only had 709 tickets left for the Raiders-Chargers game, and that was on Sunday, so I'm sure there's even less availability now. Ticketmaster.com has some seats left, but at a minimum of $300 a piece before fees, and that's to sit up on the nosebleeds. So again... Act quickly if you're thinking about going to the game. I do have some head coach updates for you guys. Bruce Feldman, who covers college football for The Athletic and is one of the best in the business, wrote an article this week that former 49ers and current Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh is considering a return to the NFL. Feldman listed two teams in his article as possible destinations for Harbaugh, the Raiders and Chicago Bears. Harbaugh was the Bears' first-round pick back in 1987 and spent seven seasons in Chicago. When his playing days were over, Harbaugh's first coaching job was as the Oakland Raiders quarterbacks coach back in 2003, and the Harbaugh and Davis families have been close for years, hence the speculation that Jim would head to Las Vegas this offseason. As I'm sure you know, the Raiders are not expected to retain Bisacci after this season, though the result of Sunday's game could change all of that, and it's widely assumed that the Bears will fire their head coach, Matt Nagy, sometime after this week's game. Harbaugh boasts a 44-19-1 record and has a Super Bowl appearance as an NFL head coach and led Michigan to its first Big Ten title since 2003 this season. Michigan is also his alma mater, so there might be an emotional attachment for him to stay there, but it does seem like he's at least willing to weigh his option at this point. As always, I'll let you guys know if anything else comes up about the Raiders head coach search. This past weekend, the NFL honored former Raiders head coach and NFL legend John Madden, and current Raiders wide receiver Deshaun Jackson tried to do the same with custom cleats featuring Madden. 
However, league officials stepped in and told Jackson that he had to take the cleats off or they would remove him from the game, according to Jackson's Instagram post on Sunday evening. The NFL typically does not permit players to wear any type of custom messages on their uniform, with the exception being of the one week of the, out of the year when players participate in the My Cause, My Cleats, but it's hard to argue with D-Jax wanting to honor John Madden, and taking him out of the game seems like a ridiculous and extreme punishment, seeing as a uniform infraction typically just results in a fine. We have a few roster transactions to go over. The first is linebackers Will Compton and Patrick Orwoso were activated from the reserve slash COVID list. However, Compton was subsequently released. Compton posted a video on social media to announce the transaction and handled it with a lot of class, thanking the Raiders for the opportunity and wishing the best of luck on Sunday and in the playoffs, as he had nothing but good things to say about the organization. However, the next day, linebacker Morikawa Lee was placed on the reserve slash COVID-19 list, so the Raiders ended up re-signing Compton. Much less dramatically, Owosu was still on the 53-man roster. The Raiders also reverted guards Lester Cotton and Jeremiah Patasi back to the practice squad while releasing offensive lineman Nico Falla and Brett Higgy off of the practice squad. So the Raiders injury report was rather long as it had 15 players on it this Thursday, but the good news is 14 of them were either limited or full participants in practice. The only player who didn't participate is defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins, and Hankins has missed the last couple of weeks with a back injury. I don't know for certain if he'll be out, but it's certainly not promising that he hasn't practiced all week. Look for former Charger Darius Phylon to get his third start in a row, and Phylon has played pretty well over the last couple of weeks, so while it'll certainly be nice to have both guys in the lineup, I don't think the Raiders will be missing too much with Phylon can keep it up. As for the rest, the following players were limited in practice on Wednesday and Thursday, running back Josh Jacobs with ribs, safety Trevon Merrick with a shoulder, linebacker Denzel Perryman, ankle, and tight end Darren Waller, knee, and the coaching staff seems confident that Waller will make his long-awaited turn on Sunday. To wrap things up, the following guys were full participants. Linebacker Divine Diablo, shoulder slash elbow. Tight end Daniel Helm, knee. Center Andre James, ankle. Defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson, back. Tight end Foster Moreau, ab. Cornerback Keyson Nixon, ribs. Guard John Simpson, wrist. Fullback Sutton Smith, heel. Defensive tackle Solomon Thomas, knee. Linebacker KJ Wright, wrist. And that'll do it for the Raiders injury report. For the Chargers, their injury report is pretty sparse. It only has five guys on it, and three were full participants, and one starting linebacker Drew Twainquill was limited with an ankle injury in practice. They also don't have anyone on the reserve slash COVID-19 list either. The only player for Los Angeles that hasn't participated in practice is defensive lineman Joe Gaziano, who has made one start this season and mixes in on their defensive line rotation, but he isn't much of an impact player, so the Chargers are a little healthier than the Raiders heading into Sunday night. Alright, time for your guys' questions. Reminder, tweet your questions at me, at mholder95, or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com to have your pressing questions about the Raiders answered on the show. And you know what? You guys can ask me about anything, so if you want to get to know me better, fire away. First question, how much should fans and the Raiders themselves put into this late run? Basically, did they get super lucky, and should that mean guys like Rich should stay? I'll start this off by saying this. I think Rich Passaccia is a great guy. Like I said, I think at the top of the show, and I've talked about it before, I think Rich Passaccia deserves a ton of credit for dealing with all the crap that he's had to deal with this year, and obviously he's got the Raiders in a, put in the position to make the playoffs. That being said, the 1-5 stretch or whatever it was, it's going to kind of stick in a lot of, lot of people's minds, and I just really think that the Raiders can probably have a better option as a head coach. Again, I like Versace a lot. I hope he can stick around as a special teams coach. 
but I get the feeling that he's going to be gone again. That that stretch is just really sticking in my mind, sticking in a lot of people's mind that I think uh, will ultimately end up costing him the job. But as far as what, how much, how much stake the Raiders and fans should put into this late run, I will say again, the Raiders deserve a ton of credit for being able to put themselves in this position. And they've had plenty of problems of their own. They've dealt with COVID just like any other team has. And they've obviously had their end of the season injuries just like any other team. But I do think it would be a little ridiculous to not at least recognize how lucky the Raiders have gotten over this last three-game stretch. A few weeks ago, they got to play the Browns, who half their team was on the COVID list, including both their quarterbacks, and had to pull Nick Mullins off the practice squad. Now, again, credit to the Raiders for winning that game. But then the week after that, they don't have to play, face Daddy Bridgewater Red Broncos. They get the Drew Locke Red Broncos. And, I mean, Drew Locke didn't play bad. And I think the Raiders probably still win that game anyway. But it's not like they came out there and dominated. They had plenty of mistakes and um, you know had a chance to lose that game, maybe if the Broncos had someone else at quarterback. So I do think that kind of takes away from it. And then last week, I do think beating the Colts, because the Colts are obviously their offense is predicated on Jonathan Taylor. But I do think you have to acknowledge that Carson Wentz couldn't practice all week, and that's going to play an impact on the game. But I also think that Colts win, like for what I was just talking about, Carson Wentz at least still played in that game, and the Colts are predicated around the running game. They still have a really good defense, and all their guys were over there or were playing on that side of the ball too. So I do think the Colts win kind of validates a little bit, and I think if they can beat the Chargers, who, like we were just talking about with their injury report, are as healthy as can be for this time of year, I do think it'll add some more validity to it and you know add a little bit of a feather to the cap of the coaching staff, and especially a guy like Derek Carr, who kind of gets that monkey off his back and gets to go play in a playoff game. But I do think you do kind of have to put the put the run in context and not put too much weight into it and still kind of evaluate this roster and evaluate the direction of the franchise and, and the coaching staff and uh, kind of make similar decisions about what you were going to make a few weeks ago when the, the season was looking bleak. Again, not as dramatic. Props to the Raiders. They've done it. They've deserved to be in this spot. They've fought through and they've battled COVID just as hard as any other team that they face. So they do get a lot of credit for it. But I do think when you're we're looking at this offseason, we're looking at the Raiders moving the in the future, you have to take the context of those situations when evaluating this team. Renfro over under 100 yards receiving. And do we see a DJX redemption reception? I'll start with Renfro. I'm going to go over. You know, I was a little bit more worried about this matchup with Chris Harris between him and uh, Renfro and Chris Harris, excuse me, um, earlier in the week. But when I was started talking to Michael Peterson, uh, if you guys listen to the scouting, the the uh, Chargers podcast, you know, he was talking to us about how Chris Chris Harris has kind of lost his stuff a little bit. He's getting up there in age. And he actually thinks that matchup favors Hunter Renfro a lot. So that kind of swayed me a little bit. I, I really think Hunter Renfro is going to be able to go off. I think if Darren Waller does play, I think he'll probably be a little bit more of a decoy and at least take some of the, that pressure off on a Renfro. And Renfro and Carr right now, they're cooking. They're on the same page, and I think they're hitting each other in the same stride. They're probably finishing each other's sentences and all that good stuff. So I'm going to go over. I'm going to be a little bit of a gambler. I'll take over 100 yards receiving on uh, on Renfro. have no idea what that is over at your local sports book, but take that prop, whatever it is, take the Renfro on the over on the yards. As far as DJX goes... I think I've mentioned it on here, but I'm not the biggest DJX fan anymore. I know I wanted him uh, when the Raiders were looking for another receiver, but for some reason he just doesn't seem to have that connection with Carr. Him and Carr haven't been able to connect on the deep balls very much this year, and I just haven't seen a whole lot out of him that makes me 
real hopeful and real promising to see something big from him on Sunday. So I'm going to have to go with a no on that one. But again, I do think Hunter Renfro is in for a big game. Something I heard on the TDL recap, shout out Marcus and BD, thoughts on bringing in Gillespie and Nixon for Teamer, had a bad showing versus the Colts. So I'm not sure if they were talking about it on TDL about Nixon playing safety, if that's what you're referring to, or just talking about Nixon playing a little bit more in the secondary. I would definitely be for that. Um, obviously, I thought Nixon was going to play a little bit more this year, early this week when the, the whole Nate Hobbs stuff came out, but it looks like he's going to play. But I think Nixon has at least earned some playing time to maybe get in the mix and maybe give Brandon Face on a blow every now and again or kind of be that insurance and policy if Faison's not working out right. And I definitely think he's going to be that next corner off the board. Again, don't know if they were talking about him playing safety at all. I would be a little hesitant if that is the direction that they're going as far as uh, putting Nixon at safety, even if he has those skills, just because this is such a big game, I wouldn't want to risk something like that. And kind of going in there, that kind of leads into my my same thoughts about playing Gillespie. I'm excited to see what Gillespie has in the future. I'd love to see what he can have um, you know, for the years going forward. But again, I just... I would be a little bit less confident with seeing him out there than I would like guy like a Roderick Teamer who, as at least a veteran, and at least you're kind of going to know what you're going to get. Gillespie putting a rookie out there would scare me a little bit. Plus, I think with Teamer that you have to play up is he's playing against his uh, his former employer in the Chargers. Maybe plays a little bit more juice than he did last week against the Colts. Bigger game too, and I believe that was a uh, Teamer's first time as a uh, getting an expanded role. So. I would stick with Teamer if it was me, if it was me calling the shots. I'd play this pretty close to the best. Wouldn't want to risk throwing out a rookie that you don't know a whole lot about out there, but we will see what happens. All right, this next question is from my good friend Nick Cothrell, and I told you guys I'll answer any question you guys send me, and his question is, when is Jamarcus Russell making his return? Well, Nick, I will say this. The Raiders are expected to be in the offensive line market this offseason, so never know. Maybe they bring back that walrus. All right, next question here. What can we realistically expect from Waller should he return for this game? I kind of hinted at this before, but I'm not expecting a whole lot from Darren Waller coming back. I think, I don't know how healthy he is. Again, he's only practiced on a limited capacity this week. It sounds like he's at least out there, and I think he can be able to go based on what the coaching staff is saying, and him just being out there, him being out there at 75% is better than a lot of guys, 100%. So I think he can still have a, a decent enough game but I do feel like he's going to be a little bit more of a, a decoy than uh, necessarily a productive player or an impact player in this game. He might still get some numbers, might still get maybe you know 50 yards or something like that, but I really have a hard time seeing him having one of his go-off games and kind of bursting onto the scene. And partially, too, I mean, he's been out for, what is it, five or six weeks now, so you know maybe him and Carr don't have quite the same timing or chemistry um, that they had before. And I mean, Carr in that time has been cooking with Renfro, like we talked about before. And Carr probably has built a little bit better rapport and a little bit more trust with Renfro. And obviously, any target that goes to Renfro is going to take away from Waller, which I think is a good thing. I think if you're the Chargers, you still have to honor Waller at least to start the game to at least see what he has and give him those bracketed coverages, those double coverages, and take some of that pressure off Renfro, which again, now I realize I'm turning this question into how much I'm excited about watching Hunter Renfro this week. But yeah, I think you do have to tamper expectations from Waller from a little bit. I think he'll be out there, maybe a little bit more of a decoy, maybe not necessarily an impact player. But uh, we will see how this game folds out. Again, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that's up in the air at this point, so I'm excited to watch. Which players will get new contracts or improved contracts this offseason, and who will make who will be in a make or break year next year? 
I'll try and give you one player for each category on each side of the ball. I think offensively, the guy that's going to get a new contract or an improved contract, however you want to spin it, is going to be Hunter Renfro. Um, obviously, he's been probably their offensive MVP, um, maybe outside of Derek Carr. Been there every single game. Been balling out. First 1,000-yard receiver since Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree back in 2016. So I think he's in for a big payday. He's on a fifth-round rookie contract, which is an absolute steal for what he's producing the last few weeks. So I think he'll get paid. The guy that I think that will be in a big make-or-break year, I'm going to go with Foster Moreau. I think a lot of people might expect me to go with Josh Jacobs here, but honestly, I've kind of just accepted and moved on from the fact, and I'm hoping or at least assuming that they're going to let Josh Jacobs walk after his contract's up just because I think you're kind of he's kind of proving why you don't draft a running back in the first round, unfortunately, where he is a good player in his own right, but he's struggling to stay healthy, and we've seen him be less effective without a dominant offensive line. And again, that's not to say that Jacobs is a bad player. It's just a position that in a salary cap league is, a, is so reliant on so many other people doing their job that it's a lower value position. And that's kind of where I'm at with Jacobs. So that's why I wouldn't go with him. And with Moreau, I think Moreau is in an, in an interesting situation. I feel like with a lot of people, he didn't really, or at least from my expectations, he didn't really meet my expectations this year. I thought this was going to be a big year for him. I think a lot of people were thinking he was going to be, him and Waller were going to be the next one, two, or the next one, two tight end duo, or the one of the best tight end duos in the league. He's obviously fell short of that. Um, you can argue Waller's fell short of that a little bit too. But I think Moreau has a lot to prove going into the last year of his deal, especially if they are going to be paying Renfro and maybe bringing in someone in the offseason as a wide receiver. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a big year for him to try and prove that he belongs to stick around or go make some money somewhere else. So I think he's going to be my guy that I'm going to be watching that's going to be in for a big year in year four. And then on the other side of the ball, I'll just go with the low-hanging fruit. Same Max Crosby. I mean, obviously, I don't even think I need to explain that one. Max Crosby, best player on the defense this year. Another guy that was a mid-round pick on a very low contract, so I think he's in line for a big payday. There are a couple other guys, though, that I think that might end up getting paid. Uh, Denzel Perryman. I shouldn't even say might with Denzel Perryman. I have a feeling he'll probably get a pay bump. I think he's making like something ridiculous, like $3 million a year this year, which is an absolute steal. Whatever it is, it's too low. The guy's been a pro bowler, so I think he'll get a pay bump this year. And then there's Casey Hayward, but I'm not so sure I would pay Casey Hayward. I would be a little bit hesitant, and I think the Raiders would too. Casey Hayward is getting up there in age. He's on the bad side of 30, and I don't know exactly what the Raiders' cap space is looking like right now, but I don't know how long-term you're going to want to commit to a corner that is you know, in his mid-30s already. You know, if he wants like a one or two year deal and a little bit more money because he is making like pennies right now, another guy that they're getting for a lot of value, then maybe you can kick the tires and mull that around and then give him a contract extension. But again, I think you have to be more time sensitive with Hayward. And if he's looking for some more long term security, I think you might have to kind of let him walk or kind of unfortunately bite that bullet and let him go. But the guy that I think is going to have the most to prove or be in a make or break year is actually going to be the other corner, which is going to be Trayvon Mullen. I felt like Trayvon Mullen as a rookie stood out really well and looked like he had a lot of potential and looked like he could develop into a true number one corner, then had a bit of a setback as a sophomore year. where I wouldn't even say setback where he just didn't seem to really get all that much better. He didn't seem to show the same amount of potential where 
you thought this guy could develop and he just kind of looked more average, which is fine, but obviously not a guy that you're, or not what you were hoping for based on his rookie year. And then this year it's obviously been riddled with injuries. So you kind of have this, a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth with, with uh, Mullen where I definitely don't think he's going to earn an extension. Again, you know, we're talking about a guy that showed promise as a rookie and we haven't seen a whole lot about or a whole lot of ever since, whether it be injuries or just not playing up to a performance. So, or performing up to standards, I should say. So I think he's going to have a lot to play for heading into the last year of his rookie deal. What positions should the Raiders go for in the first three rounds of the draft? Well, right now, in no particular order, I'll just give you my top four draft needs for the Raiders. I think the first one is going to be an offensive lineman. Problem is, I don't exactly know what position they're going to be looking for based on what they're going to do with Alex Leatherwood. There's been some rumors about them wanting to move him back to right tackle, um, but he's played better at right guard. Maybe they could leave him there. So I think they have some flexibility with that too. So I think offensive line will just go with that generally for now until we know what's going on with Alex Leatherwood. And then on the other side of the ball, on the other side of the trench is going to be defensive tackle. As of right now, every single defensive tackle is about on the roster is about to be a free agent. So obviously that's a pretty pressing need. And I think they could use a real playmaker there. I was talking about Darius Phylon. He's played really well in the last few weeks. Um, so maybe they don't necessarily need or don't have a pressing need if they believe in him. Uh, but I do. I would like to see them add you know, a, a really good defensive tackle in the draft. And then on staying on the defensive side of the ball, excuse me, would be at cornerback. I just talked about uncertainty with Casey Hayward, what he's going to want in this offseason. Trayvon Mullen, he's going to be a free agent coming up soon. I usually like to have a grace period of a year with a cornerback to give them uh, some time to break in. That's typically a position that's harder to make the transition to at, in the NFL. So I like the idea of stocking on in a good corner, especially in this class that's loaded with a lot of good corners, of getting one now. And even if you re-sign Hayward, then maybe you can let Trayvon Mullen walk after a year or it kind of just gives you more options. I'm in the mode if you can never have too many corners. And the other one's going to be your wide receiver. I get the feeling, just kind of a gut feeling, nothing based on uh, anything I've read or anything like that or heard, but I get the feeling the Raiders will probably make a play at a free agent wide receiver. There's some guys, I think we talked about them last time, you know, Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson, that might be available that they could go after. So I get the feeling they're going to use the free agency to address the wide receiver need. But I wouldn't mind seeing them add a guy that take the top off that they've been missing since Henry Ruggs' release. So maybe looking for a guy that can, a speed demon in the second or third rounds that can uh, help take some of the pressure off and open up some of those underneath areas. Are there any free agents the Raiders spend most of their cap space on? Well, I kind of just named the one, and I think it would be Devontae Adams. I think, especially if you're going to commit to Derek Carr long term, obviously him and Devontae have a pretty good relationship dating back to their college days. I think you go out and you get a Devontae Adams and you pay him top dollar, you pay him the top receiver money, and that might end up eating up a lot of your cap space, but I think you end up getting a, a one of the best receivers and you know maybe reuniting him with his college quarterback where they went on to break school records and everything. If you go up and just Google their stats, it was stupid ridiculous what those guys did together in college. So I would be the kind of guy I'd break the bank for. I'm a big Allen Robinson fan too. I don't know what's going to happen with him in Chicago. I think they placed the franchise tag on him this past year, so I would be surprised if they do it again. I also think they're probably going to get a new GM in Chicago and might blow things up a little bit and try and build around Justin Fields, which could mean you know get letting a guy like Allen Robinson walk, especially if he doesn't want to be around for the rebuild. So those are the two guys that I would kind of back the Brinks Chup up for. I don't know 100% what the free agency class is going to look at. I don't pay attention to it too much until usually around February just because 
even guys that are on the last year of their deals, usually they end up getting tagged or anything like that if they're any sort of a decent player. So I'll start looking at that and I'll have a better answer for you guys around February once we start to get a little bit more of a, a clearer picture on what this free agency period is going to look like. That'll do it for this week's show. If this is our last Raiders game of the season together, I just want to say thank you guys so, so much for tuning in every week. It meant a lot to me and I've had a ton of fun this season. I'm not exactly sure what this podcast will look like during the offseason, but I'm not planning on going anywhere, anywhere anytime soon. So I'll be on the airwaves and on silverandblackpride.com. So make sure to follow me on Twitter, at mholder95, follow Silver and Black Pride, and please, pretty please, rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, guys.